Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Because it's different. In sure. old, a memory that will last a lifetime. Sure. Yeah, I, I did some traveling in Italy, and, you know, we were in Chianti, and... I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the wines, but I had great appreciation for them mm-hmm. um, because they weren't growing in the same area we were growing, and I, don't, I think that's a little bit more of a challenging growing area. But you walk into these cellars, and they they smelled like a cellar. Mm-hmm. Didn't you open up that wine? That wine smelled like the cellar, you know. <laughs> and then you're sitting on the porch and you're drinking that wine that smells like the area, tastes like the cellar, smells like the cellar, you know. And then you have, like I said, there's just a greater appreciation for, for the wines that they are making. And then, yeah, you're in that place and mm-hmm. space. That sense of place, that terroir yeah. that everybody talks about. It's more than just the dirt. Yeah. No, it's everything. Mm-hmm. Human impact. Yeah, everything. Climate, soil, vines. Yeah, it's the, it's the big picture. So the best way to drink great wine is to go to the source and drink them at the source. True. Yeah, you'll definitely have a deeper understanding. Yeah. For sure. No, it's amazing how much you learn just by osmosis. Mm-hmm. But the second best way is just to have it on a Tuesday. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Some random Tuesday. Just get a good bottle of wine. A celebrate giant, the fact that it's Tuesday or Wednesday. A giant and... ribeye. Yeah, just have a good bottle of wine. I yeah. think I might be a long lost sister and from another mother. <laughs> it's just really because you say exact same things I've either been thinking or verbalizing. Well, for it's a like long well, time. I mean, life's too short. Don't save it for Saturday night. Just you know. I know people like say Tuesday, when is a, a good, good time no. to open my special bottle when you're yeah. depressed and you had a crappy day. Yeah, yeah, so whatever. You need it then. Yeah, might it'll elevate. make you value the good exactly. days. It's so funny. We've got a. <laughs> quasi cellar underneath our stairs and there's no good wine in it like I always take the good wine I always drink the best bottle of wine I can find it's and then it's all the old like stuff, stuff that don't I don't want to drink and you know like not that I'm biased against any bottle of wine but I always grab the best bottle of wine I can find in there see I hide stuff and that's what my husband does is like all literally hide things in the cellar or in the house and the guy is like a bloodhound and he'll pull it out and he opens it before he gets back to the house ah. because he knows he's going to be in trouble because so I'm funny. a saver and he's a drinker it's very cool though yep. good good dynamic if you were both the same it wouldn't be as fun I know <laughs> definitely not let's talk about this monumental wine that I have in my glass yeah, it is big, yeah. larger than life it yeah. is a big wine for so sure our, our petite Syrah so we have just under half an acre of uh, fruit so planted in 2001 um, and we had planted it really with the intentions of using it as a blending tool in with the Zinfandel in the cab mm-hmm. um, and then when we sat down to do blending trials, um, we just didn't like it hmm. mixed into the Zinfandel or the cab. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was phenomenal on its own, you know? And it's even better with just a little bit of Zin blended into it. So we've got vintages that have, you know, a couple percentages of Zin thrown into it. 
Um, but it is, it's a big, big yes. line. You know, it's got a taking so a, a indicatively uh, tannic varietal to begin with and mm -hmm. putting it into a growing region that promotes or, you know, elevates that even more. Um, yeah, for me, this wine is, it's, it's good, but it needs to wait. It needs time. But again, a testament to your winemaking prowess. It's not heavy handed at all. Big does not mean like flabby, overwhelming. Some people love this. Like right, um, right now, some people just absolutely crave it. And, um, you know, all, all, you know, not all wines are the same and not all palates are the same. So some people, some people really like it. And I think that this, you know, personally I would, I would wait. Um, you know, who's to say what that's going to be like in a year. It's going to be a little bit softer and a lot more approachable. I think the, the balance for lack of a better description, the, what you want is all that. It's all there. Mm -hmm. So it'll develop like you're describing, you know, it'll be different, slightly different, more evolved. But I mean, it's so highly drinkable. It's delicious right now, which for the wine this size is pretty, it's quite a feat. Yeah, I think it'd do really, really well with something like barbecue mm -hmm. or something like a really spicy red sauce. Yes, um, I see that. Food pairing would, would complement this even more. I think that would sing with food so much. I mean, I'm kind of craving now that you brought it <laughs> no, up. I'm getting craving too. barbecue. <laughs> um, we do have lunch. See, this gets better and better. I may have to stay. It's, it's we'll, we'll 20, the old saying is exactly. 20, 20 minutes to get here and two days to get home. So. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. <laughs> no, this is highly addictive, you guys. I mean, I, I feel a little indulgent. You're just listening to all this um, lovely talk and you're probably somewhere, I don't know, driving or in a cubicle or at home. But I'm telling you, this is, uh, to me, perfection. The way I define it, when you're living a life with wonderful people sharing a glass and talking about what matters. It's good stuff, huh? It is. It's yeah. great stuff. Yeah. Now, congratulations. It's, it's, it has to be so exciting and gratifying after all the hard work. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, Brian's done such a good job with the wines and they're not masked by too much oak. You know, no, really, actually, we haven't even talked about that. Great, but great point. You know, they're they're a really good expression of place and of Howl Mountain. And you get, you know, we had, um, and we talked a little bit about the whole term of terroir. Yeah. And, you know, it's like walking outside after it rains for the first time, and you can <laughs> smell the mm -hmm. asphalt, and you can smell the dirt, and you can smell the yes. wet gravel, and. You know, it's our wines to me smell like our soil and our environment after it rains. Wow. Um, you know, and they're analogy. they're not masked by by too much wood. Yeah. They're complemented by the wood profile on them, but they're not. You know, they're just they're a really good representation of of Howell Mountain, um, especially. You know, which is we're so blessed to be in in Napa with all of our different soil profiles and soil types, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know we've got this great red volcanic, super high in iron um, content dirt it, that just yes. makes great red wines. And you look at it; it's red. Oh yeah, it's more oh, it yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. You know, you can't help but notice it. Yeah. yeah. And um, it is everywhere. <laughs> you know. 
while you were um, speaking, I was just thinking this wine has kind of unique grittiness. There's a stamina to it that's so definable. I mean, blind, I would know that um, this is most likely Hall Mountain. Yeah. There's something so unmistakable about it, so definitive. I love that. It has a point of view. It should. You know, wines should be unique and, um, you know, you you don't want to go, go too far astray with styles, but they, sh they need to be unique. They need to be expressive. They need yeah. to be, a, you know, showing a sense of place. Well, you know, there's a craftsmanship quality to them. She mentioned the, the smell of rain. Yeah. I, I, I found that people from this area, Arizona, California, where rain isn't a continual factor mm -hmm. are much more aware of the smell of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you're back east, it rains all the time, so who cares? It's part of life, yeah. And I think that's kind of when we talk about wine. Mm -hmm. It's like you want to be aware of what's happening, and there's so much going on. That is such a great point. I mean, everyone, again, that context, frame of reference, how do you relate to what you're experiencing? Mm -hmm. And this is so powerful, you know, when you talked about what it evokes for you, mm -hmm. what emotions it brings up, that it makes you think of the rain and how it hits the soil and this aroma that's so, that has a bronto it, again, that grit. Mm -hmm. It's very 3D. It's mm -hmm. not like, hey, this is nice. No, I mean, you ex fully experience, you're mm -hmm. fully embracing it. Right. It's more than just parts. It's literally the sum of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you're seeing, you know, where you are mentally at that moment um, what's on your palate it's just it's, it's so empowering in a way that's what's so cool about it is that it just makes you feel like you're living your life in that moment you fully embrace you experiencing you sucking all the molecules out of it <laughs> as opposed to just kind of passing by mm -hmm. so this is the wine named for the grandsons mm -hmm. yes the breaksman boys blend yeah, so we uh, did our first Boys Blend Vintage in 2014. Um, the the two grandsons, so Brian's um, son Ben and my brother Danny's son Shane, mm -hmm. um, were kind of old enough to realize that their their sisters had wines named for them. <laughs> um, and we were we were looking at you know 45 years of my dad being up here on the on the property and um, kind of you know his original vintages <coughs> excuse me were um, blends mm -hmm. I mean the property was planted to the old pre-prohibition Zin vines but there was mm -hmm. Kerrigan and Petit Syrah and all these old crazy Italian vines that were interspersed sure um, you know, and then he was doing a blend, you know, he's throwing his cab vintages in there. So he was kind of doing a blend originally, um, you know, and I think he gets, he gets a little itchy fingered at, at harvest, waiting for things to, to happen and come mm -hmm. in. And, uh, so the boys literally just drove bins around and picked some cab and some Zinfandel and Petite Syrah and our few vines of Petite Verdot, Verdot and threw them in couple barrels and you know, made a red blend. It's such an interesting historical reference too that you brought up is that of course Napa now Cab is king. 
And it's true both viticulturally but also economically. But that's not how it started out. Napa was settled by immigrants, Italian immigrants, German immigrants. There's plenty of white aromatic varietals that were right. planted there initially. Right. Right. And certainly a lot of reds, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Um, there were so. Conquered grapes on the property. Yep. He grew Conquered grapes across the road. Mm -hmm. Prunes, apples, pears, walnuts. They were all, they were yeah. all homesteads. Yep. You know, they were self-contained homesteads. So, you know, you had all your fruit trees and all your nut trees and you raised your mm -hmm. animals on the property and you grew your grapes and hold them down by, you know, wagon to Charles Krug for processing and, you know, it's, it's, no, it's that's the truth. a little bit. That's know? the truth of the valley. That's how it all began. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still, it's still here. You can go lay down. It is. You it's can go amazing. lay down. That's the exciting part. Yeah. Well, yeah, this, this so definitely is a boys blend. This is, if I were to describe it, gender-wise masculine. I don't yeah. taste any, yes. any boys in this blend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, There's a little... More, I think more than um, I think this is something that is expressive of what I wanted um, and screw the consumer if they don't like it right away because we I don't know, mean it we love you I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying in the of sense course, that it's not approachable right away yeah it's gonna age beautifully I mean it's spectacular now but it's mm -hmm. aggressive it's masculine it's fruity there is a lot of oak on that I can that's the first wine where there's that assertiveness of mm -hmm. oak and tannins right. it's just like brimming yeah i mean it's with, it's a it's a, it's an aggressive wine it's, yeah. it's a full rich um you know for me it's meaty it's got good palate weight and it's a little bit different than these other That's wines the wine that, that i would lay down without a doubt i think it would show off so well mm -hmm. um it's it's really so voluminous mm -hmm that I think it just sort of needs to come into its own a bit. Yeah. The rest as of them, I have no as patience. As young boys do. <laughs> I mean, I would drink them like now. Boys just take a little longer to get there. Yes, they do. That's true. No, they, it's a, a five-year lifetime, <laughs> right, in maturity. So exactly. this is five-year wine. Five years? Oh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm creeping yeah, up on it now. Well, yeah. behind girls, right? Right, right. The conventional wisdom would have it that way, but this wine is just, it's so interesting. But I'm looking forward to pouring this on their wedding. Day, you know right and when they're 21 right. it's gonna be really good it's yeah. very cerebral wine to me your other wines definitely I mean they all have hedonic qualities but this one is probably the most like philosophical <laughs> yeah you know I think that from a we have a lot of technical things that we do obviously as winemakers but mm -hmm. when you put blends together that's really your creative uh, cap Mm -hmm. It's on, it's working, and you know, you're putting these different percentages together and you can kind of go astray with certain percentages, but you always kind of know which direction you're going to go. Right. Some things work, some things don't. Um, you're always kind of looking in that crystal ball, going, this is what it tastes like now, but what is it going to taste like in the future, right? So you have to kind of think about that when you're, when you're blending. Mm -hmm. And then you have this, you know, bell curve thing that I'm always mm -hmm. kind of thinking in the back of my head, how is it going to fall into that curve? And this is a big bell. I mean, this is a big, wide, fat, tall bell. And that's what I wanted. That's what I, when I went after. Um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's fun. Being being creative and, you know, artistic is, is really the fun part of winemaking in my mind. I mean, there's a lot of technical things and there's a lot of things that are a challenge. Um, just from being kind of a one-man show up here uh, in the winery, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work. 
Of course. <laughs> a lot of work. What was your most challenging moment in your winemaking career? Ooh. I I went to work for a winery in Sonoma um, mm -hmm. after Paradox, and um, the cellar had a horrible patanomyces issue. Oh my goodness. It was throughout. Yeah, and you can't really get rid of it, can you? Uh, three years it took. Three years. Three oh. years it took. But it was an amazing challenge, right? Because I hadn't really dealt with it before. Yeah. I knew what it was and what it did and, and how it worked. Um, but it was it was literally cleaning house from top to bottom. So I had, I had a cellar crew. Um, half of them were drunk by noon when I got there. <laughs> um, Occupational hazard. They would literally take barrels <laughs> off the racks and fill them without washing them. Just really poor sanitization procedures. That's really too bad. So I fired everybody, um, promoted the lowest guy on the totem pole to the cellar master. And he was a young, energetic, smart as a whip, Demetrio, um, Hispanic guy, he had a family, he, he needed to work, he wanted to work. Um, and we started doing all sorts of, uh, you know, basically research within the cellar as to where these problem points were. Yeah. Um, actually hired uh, one of Gallo's um, top micro people oh. and that had a, a separate business that um, would come into cellars and... Um, Go over everything. Go over your sanitization procedures. Look at your chemicals, your concentration rates. He would, for example, okay, get your guy to sanitize this tank. And I'd tell him, okay, do it the best you can. And he'd come in, we'd scrub it, clean it, sanitize it. And he'd come along and he'd swab it and come back, you know, four days later with a cultured plate saying, hey, look, this is not clean. How do we get that clean? You know, so there was constantly things that we were doing to improve um, population counts, you know. Basically, that's what Britannomyces is. Um, you got to control a population, and we got under control. It took three years, but then the wine quality just went from—I mean, from yeah. here to here immediately. So again, so. really important piece of intel. Here's why you guys should care. It does affect the quality of wine. I know some people are sensitive to bread, and some actually like it. So it's there's a bit of controversy here, but overall there's a reason cleanliness is next to godliness i mean it has to be like you have to you can eat off the floor um a lot of people think of mandavi as a founding father in napa valley which is true but what's also true is andrew chalchev when he came from france the first thing he implemented at bv was what cellar practices changed it became clean right, right. and that was fundamental change that really led up to what the valley is today it led to a lot of successes mm -hmm. and you certainly have taken a page out of Chelichev's book haven't you? you you know it's important to understand that you know you can have one wine that may have a potential issue and if that one wine touches another wine then you have two wines with the same issue mm -hmm. And if that two wine touches four wines, then you've got six wines. So it can absolutely compound itself very quickly. Um, so no two lots should touch each other until you're ready to have them touch each other. And what I mean by touch each other, if you don't clean that tank that you were just in before, 
and you may just have rinsed it out, uh, then that next wine goes in there, it's touched the other wine. So whatever was in that wine prior is now in the wine that you just put in there. Um, so it's just really important to be able to understand that, understand that cleanliness is paramount when it comes to having a clean cellar. We also understand that, that, that microbes are important innately in wine, right? Mm -hmm. We're using cultured yeast, we're using wild yast, we're mm -hmm. using enococcus to convert malic to lactic acid. So all of those things in balance need to be there. So if you have one that's too strong and the population is too great, it's gonna take over. And you'll have Acetobacter, for example, you'll have, mm -hmm. you know, VA. Botanomyces, you'll have these 40 P4EG issues. And so if you have checks and balances, you gotta, it's not good to have everything, but if you have multiple microbes in there, they kind of keep each other at bay. So if you have a balanced environment, it's important. So um, all those things need to be need to be looked at. Very important. And again, I'm distracted slightly as I'm listening about the wine. And I just want to point out, it's the 2017. We talked about it in the other segment. It's so darn delicious. And what stood out for me the most as I'm processing it is that minerality. When I first saw the soil, literally just first look, it's like, oh my God, this looks red and rich. And you pointed out there's a lot of minerality. That's kind of one of the defining characteristics of the soil up here. Absolutely. I can taste in this wine more than any other. And it's just brilliant. It's got great minerality, um, which adds to that mouthfeel that, that's mm -hmm. there. Um, I think the acid complements the minerality as well. Yep. I think there's a fair amount of acid to it, um, which can help highlight things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, a framework. It is. Yeah, you've got to have that brightness. Yep. And what's being poured now is the port, and I am so excited <laughs> to try it. Um, it's 2007, Seven, mm -hmm. which is so amazing. It was about a year for California, really successful. A lot of you might remember it. It's been heralded by the press, certainly. Um, you know, 10 years from the fame, 1997. So <laughs> it had to have been good. Uh, the label is amazing. It has, um, tell me about the artwork. Yeah, so this one, uh, we did our first vintage in 96. Mm -hmm. And um, ended up doing one barrel for uh, our daughter Claire and she was about three by the time we actually got it into the bottle. Mm -hmm. um, we told her she was getting a private reserve like her sister Emily and her Cabernet and she mm -hmm. thought we said pirate. <laughs> um, so we've kind of honored her uh, take on the wine with her little pirate ship and she was kind of our wild child anyway so the, the Peter Pan theme kind of fits. It's so dreamy. Um, yeah, it's a great little... Oh, I just need a few. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's been a fun wine. We don't do it um, every year. Mm -hmm. um, the first year that we did it in 96 was out of second crop. Mm -hmm. um, and now we have one of our old blocks of Zen that um, it's kind of designated for our port production, mm -hmm. um, but it really just depends on the growing conditions. So, so it comes in half bottles. It's 19.8% mm -hmm. alcohol, which is again either here or there, because mm -hmm. this wine is so balanced. Yeah, so it's it's made in a traditional 
port style uh, winemaking. So it is fortified. Um, we use a, a secondary alcohol that's a um, basically it's a high proof made from grapes mm -hmm. to do the fortification with. Um, yeah, it is a, so delicious. It's a delightful. Little no, wine. seriously. I mean, I could wear it as a perfume <laughs> easily. It's good. It is so good. Yeah. Um, I can't take credit for this wine. This is Dad's. Dad's doing. This is and my Dad's. Yeah. That's so special. Yeah. Um, and there's very little of it, isn't there? There's. Yeah. So yeah, we do 200 cases typically mm -hmm. on the years that we produce it at the, yeah. the half bottles. So you guys, if you are kind of a little afraid of dessert wines so or fear of um, having like a cloying sugar bomb in your mouth, that is not what this is at all. It's really, it drinks like a wine more than anything. Well, the um, alcohol helps. The alcohol yeah. actually helps, you know, um, yeah. drop that impression of sugar on your palate. Absolutely. It's very savory. <laughs> um, and it, there's just so much going on there flavor profile wise that both aromatically and palatally that you know I could if my tasting notes were to be written right now it'd be at least six paragraphs because there's so much to say <laughs> um, now it's, it's a significant achievement and I realize that not many people will get to try it but it's so well worth seeking it's really quite a revelation what can be achieved with this route mm -hmm. yeah, it's a it's a really beautiful wine you know and I think just the balance between the alcohol and the sugar and the fruit levels in it are it's pretty phenomenal the key with Zen is it tends to raisin mm -hmm. if you let it hang too late in the season mm -hmm. um, and that particular block that we pick the the fruit for this this wine from it's on that rock shelf that we were talking about before, so mm. it's absolutely the rockiest part of the property. Very interesting. Um, I would guess it to be Primitivo, if we were to <laughs> truly figure out what the, what's over there, um, yeah. which is which is Zinfandel. Um, but the berry size over there, it's almost like Cabernet. Amazing. So typically Zinfandel is a much larger berry. Of course. If, mm -hmm. You know, um, if you were to compare a Zinfandel berry to a marble, I think that'd be a fair comparison. Um, but the concentration of fruit over there is so high because of the rock shelf, the small little berries, mm -hmm. and it can it can hang late in the season and not go to that raisin state that Zinfandel tends to do late in the season. That's amazing. I mean, the intensity level is just off the charts. Yeah, it's when Heather does a Mexican flourless chocolate cake that is phenomenal. A little raspberry reduction. Then when you talk tomorrow, I want to be your best friend. Did you do this? I want to be invited to dinner. I did not. But I did. I did pick up a couple of cookies that I think will go amazing. Oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. It's just a symphony of flavors and sensations. One This one. This one is the one that I get a lot of feedback from. Just random emails and funny stories. This one gets a lot of people in trouble. I. <laughs> they're hung on Christmas trees and put in people's stockings. Mm -hmm. They're the perfect stocking stuffer size. Hidden not, in Boda bags. Skiing I clearly not have a good stocking, apparently. Yes. <laughs> and you're complaining. I really. keep getting oranges in mine. What the hell? Yeah. Well, the oranges are like this. Yeah. yeah, but not as good as Zinfandel Port. <laughs> no, honestly. Put it on your, on your list for next year. Mm -hmm. List to Santa. And one, one interesting point is that we are calling this 
port, or we called this right. port. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what year uh, Porto put in the protectionism to protect the word port, mm -hmm. um, like Champagne right. from France. Um, and our next production of this, uh, out of respect for Porto, is we're not going to call it port. Okay. It's going to be a late harvest Zinfandel. Good to know. I would hate for somebody in China to come up with some How Mountain AVA and start pumping out a bunch <laughs> of Cabernet. So, um, we don't, I mean, the, the quality is in the bottle. It doesn't need to be called port um, in our mind. But we are grandfathered in so that we can still use that word um, on the label. You're certainly being very considerate and respectful, and I fully appreciate that. Whatever you call it, I call it delicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yummy. It's tasty stuff. Yummy. Oh, it's been called a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few children responsible for that being born or conceived at least. Uh, yeah. Okay. We have multiple family friends that have, you know, had children conceived. So there you go. This is a yeah. baby maker, evidently. It so if is, you want to get pregnant, uh, that's who you call. You can you thank go. us later. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We used to threaten our children with all their teenage sleepovers. <laughs> And our, our kids will both testify that they have oh. siblings that have younger brothers and sisters that were interesting accidents after Summit Lake parties. So uh huh uh huh. It may have been at I, the parties. It may have been at the parties actually. Um, you find some interesting thing in the vineyard. After so parties. you can spend like literally <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars in fertility clinics and all that, and well, you can just come to Summit Lake exactly, and drink wine so. and have sex in the vineyard. Exactly, it's fine. Yeah, there you go. Oh my God, this is <laughs> this is another podcast. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week.